It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday march 27th 2014 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight good to be with you as well and we're looking forward to hearing from you tonight the phone is toll free and it's open eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven email questions at collegeview.com with your questions or comments or join in the chat room with other listeners tonight we would welcome your comments there to the bottom of your video feed if you're watching us live tonight the chat window is there easy to sign in no personal information required sign in and chat with other listeners tonight well we've got a first on the program tonight the first time i think we've ever had a guest on who is asleep yeah yeah, I imagine that. that. That might be right. Yeah, and thought about it. Well, he wasn't way. asleep though when we you talked with him. Though. All right, tell you what we got going here, All Jacob. Right, yeah, that's us uh, We have an interview, and it's a taped interview because our interviewee lives in England, in Cambridge, England, and so the time difference is so great it would be unreasonable to ask him to be with us live on the virtual Bible study. So yesterday I had a, com- a phone conversation with Keith Sisman. He preaches for a Church of Christ in Cambridge, England. Yes. And uh, the, his attention, uh, our attention was drawn to him through more than one person who commented uh, of some knowledge about a book he had written. The name of his book is called Traces of the Kingdom. And what he has done is some considerable research to discover uh the history of Christians meeting as churches of Christ. Okay. Um, Christians, maybe in a, in a more accurate sense, Christians meeting after the simple New Testament order. Yeah, because you've got to be careful that this doesn't sound denominational. When right. You say this way. <clears throat> and so what he has done, uh, he, he had access to a lot of the uh, academic resources at Cambridge University. As you'll hear in the interview, he even worked for Cambridge University for a time. And uh, he was able to use those considerable resources to do a lot of historical analysis to find that there have been Christians serving God, worshiping God, uh, according to the New Testament pattern, for as far back, basically, as he's able to trace records. And it's a real interesting interview. It, it, this this question always comes up, Jacob. Alexander started the Church of Christ. Alexander Campbell. What did I say? Alexander I meant Alexander. It, it was Alexander. Yeah, well, I meant Alexander. Yeah, yeah. Al- Al- turn which one? Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ. Oh, in the mid 1800s. That's uh, the allegation. That's the allegation. We hear that all the time. In fact, one of our young people here at College View recently had a, a teacher at school uh, make that claim. Uh, and so we're always dealing with that question: Did the Church of Christ begin with Alexander Campbell somewhere around 1850? Uh, the answer to that is an absolute no. And what's interesting is that this man's research in England, Keith Sisman in Cambridge, England, uh, his research proves that that Christians have been meeting after this fashion for as, as far back as history can record. And maybe we should go ahead, if there's anyone here who's not familiar with the Churches of Christ, what our, our premise is, and that is that we're just trying to go back and follow the New Testament pattern and be the church that you can read about in the New Testament. And so the the accusation is made, well, if you're doing that, then why why did you just start? Why, would, why did the Church of Christ just begin in the late 1800s? Yeah. And, and uh, this guy's research is showing, well, it didn't begin just in the 1800s, that it's been going on since the first century. So what we basically want to do here at the start of our program, Jacob, is play this interview that I recorded with Keith Sisman uh, yesterday and and get get the gist of his research and his conclusions. And then afterwards, we'll open it up for discussion and talk about what is the, the true New Testament church? How do we identify it? Can we find it in the world today uh, after we listen to this How interview? How long is the interview? 
About 15 minutes, a little more. All right. So listen to that, and then when we get back, we'll take your comments on it uh, as we listen uh, to the uh, interview. Dan, let it roll. We're talking to Keith Sisman in Cambridge, England tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, This is a recorded interview that we did since our time difference is so great. But, Keith, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Good evening, Greg. Tell me, now, I am correct. You're in Cambridge, England. Is Is that right? Yes, I am. To be precise, I'm just a few miles outside of Cambridge. Okay, and you preach for a Church of Christ that meets there in that area. Tell me about that. Uh, yes, we have a we have a small congregation. We meet uh, in in the city, and uh, we aim our outreach towards the uh, the student and Muslim population. Okay, I see on your website. And by the way, give me that website uh, address. Uh, this is for for our church website. Just yeah, a yes. moment. Yes. Uh, let me just uh, let me just grab that. It's uh, Cambridge City, one word, Cambridge City, C O C dot org dot uk. Okay, Cambridge City. But if you but if you do if you Google uh, Cambridge Church of Christ, you will come up with us. It's a very popular website. Right, and I I, I uh, uh, looked at the information you have there, and you have a lot of. Uh, Photos and so forth uh, about outreach that you do there in that in that community, and we commend you for that. Um, yes, thank you. The reason that I uh, that I wanted to talk with you, and I think our listeners will be very excited to hear the information. You you've written a book called Traces of the Kingdom, in which you document. That's right. Yes, we we also have a website of the same name as well. Oh yes, that's right. Uh, I saw your separate website for this book, Traces of the Kingdom. I think that's just traces. Uh, is it TracesOfTheKingdom.com? It's .org or .org.uk. Okay. Okay. If you Google Traces of the Kingdom, you will, you will get it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And actually, website. it's Traces-of-The-Kingdom.org.uk. I, I have it right here. Okay. Uh, that's right. But as I say, just Google the words and you will come up with it. All right. Uh, tell me, for, before we get into a discussion of, of your research, tell me a little bit about your background, Keith. Well, I've, I've done a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and um, about 25 years ago I became a Christian, and uh, and the question always comes up is, uh, where did Churches of Christ come from? Is it, is it, an, is it an American cult? And uh, it led me to do some research, and uh, some people put, put me in the right direction. I ended up in the university library at Cambridge, and uh, there is quite a lot of information out there, and this is really how this came about, but... Uh, Prior to that, I, I've been a photographer. I was in the photographic trade for a number of years, and I used to do work for Cambridge University, so I had a pretty good idea of my way around, how, the, how they work and think, and I use that knowledge to get into their archives. That's great. And, of course, I, um, that would be an, uh, an amazing resource to use for such uh, uh, research as you've done. Now, we understand, I think I've got the dates right, Alexander Campbell was born in 1788, I think is the date of his birth. We hear continually here in the United States, and, and possibly um, more than even you might hear it in the U.K., we hear Alexander Campbell started the Churches of Christ. And of course, Alexander Campbell was a part of what we call the Restoration Movement, uh, or as you've heard it called, the Stone Campbell Movement Um but uh, the idea that is, is presented is that Alexander Campbell and some contemporaries like Barton Stone were the ones who were instrumental in starting the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ didn't exist before that. They came up with a new uh, doctrine, a new creed, and, and therefore that they are the founders of the Church of Christ. We hear this just continually. Even recently, one of our young people in school was challenged by a teacher that that was the case. And so... Your research would be very helpful to know about if, in fact, there are traces of the kingdom before 1788. And I think you've got lots of documentation on that, do you not? Well, I, I have documented that there were churches of Christ prior to the uh, what we call the Restoration Movement. There was a rest- Restoration Movement also in this country at roughly the same time. And our Restoration Movement came into contact with the American Restoration but more importantly, there were churches of Christ prior to both restoration movements. 
Right. And when we go back in the history of the early English churches of Christ, we just cannot find when they started. They just keep going back and back and back and back. So everything you find about them implies that they, this is a footnote in history, but it implies that the churches existed even before that. Absolutely. And we cannot, in Europe, we cannot find when they started. We, 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 I keep finding more information and we just cannot determine when or who started them. They just simply have seemed to have always been churches of Christ somewhere at some point. Now, in fact, actual fact, if we go back before the Roman Catholic Church, we still find there were churches of Christ who pre-existed the Roman Catholic Church in Europe. Of course, when the Roman Catholics came along, they, they were very violent and they killed these people. This is one source we have for information on the churches of Christ, is the persecutions they, they went through. And so you can identify, for instance, in some of those persecutions, people who were teaching and practicing what we commonly refer to as New Testament Christianity. In other words, they were just following their yeah. Bibles. Uh, they were they were believing in God and baptizing believers in Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, uh, worshiping according to the New Testament pattern. So, for in other words, you you finding these kinds of it. Can you can you give us some uh, just, just maybe a few uh, specific examples of some of those kinds of things, Keith? Yes, of course, it caused a huge upset. It, the, the idea of people having free will did cause a huge upset in times past. So we do find these references. We know they held free will. That We know when Cal- Calvinism came along that they, they rejected it. And um, they were very satisfied for their faith, that they realized they needed to evangelize. And scriptures they used uh, quite a bit was Mark uh, 16, 15 and 16 was a common scripture. They didn't use so much Acts 2.38 that we tend to use today, but they were very much out there evangelizing, carrying out the Great Commission, men and women. Uh, Men, of course, uh, served in the church, but uh, it it was very much a men and women thing. They were working out there in teams, and uh, there's a great deal of persecution. On one occasion, uh, a prison governor was sent to spy on them, and he listened uh, to, to, to their preaching, and he actually hid behind a wall because they were they, they were meeting in a field, and they would meet every Sunday in a field, and uh, he was going to have them arrested and put in prison, but uh, by the time he'd turned up for several Sundays, he himself was baptized and later uh, bought them a meeting house. Wow. Uh, and we have another, another situation where a man went to kill the preacher. He, his wife had... Uh, gone to be baptized in, in the, the local river for the remission of her sins, and the, the man decided he would kill the preacher, which would have been legal in that time, because the preacher was illegal, he could have got a, a way of killing the preacher, and he was the next one in the water after his wife. He heard that he heard the preaching and realized what he had to do. So we, we know there's a lot of conviction on hearing the word being preached, and people were were being added to the church, and that, that there were thousands of these Christians. They weren't small, necessarily small groups, but there were thousands across Europe. But the way the authorities dealt with them in Europe was to accuse them on witchcraft, and they were burnt as witches. And it, it, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible what they went through and the example they set to us today. That's amazing. I, I read uh, I, I read uh, some of this uh, on your website, and you mentioned an Anglican clergyman named Dr. Daniel Featley, who was actually uh, one of the translators of the King James Bible. So this would put him back in the mid-1600s. and uh, 1640s. So, and, but he, he, wrote a, he wrote a book in 1645 called The Dipper's Dip, and this was a book, this is before the Baptists were getting known, so this is really prior to the Baptist movement. We, we date... Historians date the Baptist movement too early, uh, but this is prior to the Baptists. He wrote a book against the churches of Christ. He actually um, went to debate with them, and he produced a book. This is how things was done in that era. He himself was in prison for being an Anglican. This is the time uh, when England was under Oliver Cromwell. And because of this book, this, this book produced in, uh, I think it's 1644 or 1645, because of this book, we have a great deal of knowledge on the churches of Christ. And uh, he was a translator of the King James Bible. Now, what is interesting with the King James Bible, I hope there are some King James Bible fans listening 
Uh, 80% of the King James is based on William Tyndale, his version of um, 18, oh, sorry, of 1530. Now, William Tyndale was a New Testament Christian. The King James Bible is based on a Bible produced by Christians. Not denominations, but Christians as we understand the term. Uh, Tyndale, William Tyndale was, was highly educated, uh, Oxford and Cambridge, and he uh, set about to get a modern Bible in, in the English language. We're talking of the late 1520s now. He wanted to get a modern Bible in the English language as it was in that era. And it was financed in part by the Churches of Christ. He made some mistakes in his first uh, edition of the Bible, but the Church of England was so angry with what he was doing, they act he actually managed to sell all his 40 Bibles to the Church of England, who then burnt them. This financed his second edition which is the basis for the King James Bible. Remind us of the date of Tyndall's work. Uh, we're looking at 1534. He was executed in 1536. Okay. And and this book by uh, Featley, which he wrote 1644 or 45, he, he mentions congregations of this sort that he traces back at least as far as 1525. That is correct, yes. He, he was a great enemy of the Lord's Church, and uh, he provides us a lot of documentation. Of course, these churches pre-existed the, the Reformation. He, he tends to think along Reformation uh, guidelines, but uh, churches of Christ uh, in Europe pre-exist the Reformation. They are not a result of uh, Luther or Calvin. They are a result of the Word of God, of the Bible. And these uh, we know these congregations go back a, a thousand years. It's very difficult going back that day because there isn't uh, a lot of records have been lost due to fire and blood and etc etc but we we find glimpses of what is going on and i cannot set a date in england for for the churches of christ starting they, they seem to have always been there and the authorities always hunting them down that's amazing and so again to put our dates in perspective if uh, alexander campbell was not born until 1788 we've got Churches of Christ meeting at well documented in 1500, so 250 years before Alexander Campbell was ever born. Not only do these churches of Christ predate Campbell in the so called Restoration Movement, they also even predate the Reformation Movement of Luther and Calvin and others. And so. That is uh, correct. But they are not a result of men's work. They, they are a result of the, the Word of God. Well, that's, that's just amazing uh, information that, that you've been able to document. Uh, why do you think, Keith, why do you think that that kind of information has been generally ignored by the critics of the Lord's Church? Well, they do, they do not want the information. If, if, if you're opposed to the Lord's Church, the idea that we are purely Bible-based people isn't going to go down well with people who are enemies. Um, if they have the information, the natural thing to do would be to convert, isn't it? Having seen the information, having seen the evidence, having read the Bible, you would want to convert and be nothing more than a Christian, according to the Scriptures. Exactly right. It's a terrible barrier. Truth is a terrible barrier. Satan is, is the inventor of lies. It's, it's how Satan works. And we're in a a great war with the devil, and the devil uses lies. And uh, Men will use deceit. They, they, they will be deceived themselves. Uh, Paul tells us this in Second Thessalonians, that they'll be deceived themselves and, uh, and deceive others. And, and people have to get back to the pure scripture. One, one other question I'd have. Uh, some of our regular listeners to the virtual Bible study are, uh, are Catholics. And what would you say to the Catholics concerning these evidences that you've discovered in your research about churches of Christ meeting throughout Europe uh, at such times, so I mean, as far back as you were able to trace the history. Obviously, history gets more sketchy as you get farther back in time. Uh, but but a, a common idea is the Catholic Church was the original church, and everything else that exists in so-called Christendom shot, shot off of Catholicism at some point or another. Um, how would you address a Catholic who says, okay, so you predate the, even the Reformation movement in Europe, but you certainly don't predate the Catholic Church? The Catholic Church, if we're going to be 
blunt about it is the oldest church in the world because the Catholic Church is based on paganism. It can be taken back to Babel. All the doctrines of the Catholic Church, the worship of the Mother Goddess, who they call Mary. Mary is never called the Mother of God in Scripture. The various doctrines found in the Catholic Church are based on paganism. It's not based on the teaching of the Scripture. If you look at the history of the Catholic Church, you have to ultimately conclude it is the work of the devil. It is the work of paganism. The gods that Abraham was told to flee and the patriarchs, the gods the patriarchs were told to flee, are the gods that are worshipped in the Roman Catholic Church. And remember, the daughters of the Roman Catholic Church are the denominational system. And I will be dealing with this in my next book, The Devil's Door. It will deal with the origins of false worship. We can take the origin of false worship worldwide. We can take that origin back to Babel. And I know this isn't sounding very nice, what, what I am saying, but uh, you're either in the Lord's Church or you're in the Church of the Devil. It doesn't matter what name it wears on its door. There are, in essence, are two churches, false worship and true worship. And... Um, we want to be in that church that was founded on the first Pentecost after the resurrection. That is the only church that we're going to find salvation in, and that is the Lord Church. Keith, I need to let you go, not keep you too long here, but I, I, have, I, I did a little searching online for the possibility of purchasing your book, Traces of the Kingdom. I looked on Amazon, and it said it was out of print. Is there any way to get it? It is actually in print, but... Several Christian bookstores stock it, such as, uh, I think, Free Heart and have it in stock. Or, again, if you go to the website, it will tell you where you can obtain the book. Okay, so we, you can go to the website. Uh, again, just do a Google search for Traces of the Kingdom. The actual website is traces.of, or excuse me, traces-of-the-kingdom.org.uk. And your, and your new book... Uh, uh, Devil's Door, when's it due out? It will be due out by autumn this year. I'm writing it right at this moment. I've got the computer screen up and I'm typing away. And the stuff that I'm coming up with will be quite, uh, it will be quite staggering. It will be a revelation, but not, not a miraculous revelation, but it will be a revelation when we look at the denominational system and realize it is based on the Egyptian and Babylonian worship. And I will be documenting that to a very high standard. Um, as I say, I will repeat, there are two churches. There is the Lord's Church, founded on the first Pentecost after the resurrection, and there is false churches. doesn't matter what name they wear. All right, so that's great. Well, we, we look forward to that, and perhaps we can talk with you again about the time that book is published and get some more information from you about it at that time. Look forward to that. Great. Keith Sisman in Cambridge, England, thanks for spending some time with us tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, and let's God bless us all. Thank you, Keith. Good night. Bye-bye. We're talking to Keith Sisman. We got a loop that going was there. An excellent <laughs> interview, but I don't think we need to hear it twice. <laughs> yeah, we got it. It was that was very informative. Yeah, I, Keith Sisman is a very obviously knowledgeable fellow. He's also very well spoken, and he's he's done his research. It's quite yes, obvious that he's yeah. done his research, and I find that to be a a very edifying sort of thing, a faith building sort of thing, to know that there were Christians. Just trying to follow their Bibles. Yeah. As far back as you can find reference, you find men and women who are just trying to do what the New Testament says. All right. Well, I'm going to make the I'm going to make a, a petition. I'll be the first of our listeners because I'm sure there's going to be more. I don't want any more recorded interviews because I would like to ask him some questions. And I think our listeners would too. But well, it'd be it would... great. To, it'd be great if we could have people be able to ask him questions uh, in a live setting. But of course, I think. I don't, daylight savings time messes me up. But I think he's six hours ahead of us there, so I think it's about two, going on three o'clock in the morning. There wouldn't be reasonable to ask him to be up. That's uh, unfortunate. Perfect. Yeah, right. But it was it was very informative. Appreciate you doing that. And you probably have some questions that you would like to ask him. You can send those in the chat room. We can't ask him tonight, but we could talk about them. And uh, you sent out some questions for us to consider earlier in the day about uh, how do we know what church we yeah. want to be a part of. Well, we want to go, we, we sort of want to use Keith's comments as a springboard for our discussion. If it is, in fact, true, as I think he has well documented, that these these Christians were meeting, just using their New Testament and following the pattern of, of work and worship and organization, uh, the, the doctrine of salvation that's taught in the New Testament, how would we be sure that we are in that church today. In other words, how could we identify it? There's thousands of religious organizations in the world. Yeah, yeah. 
very, and I'm satisfied it's very confusing to people. You know, if, if someone, if an honest truth seeker was going to say, how would I pick out of all of those, how would I pick the right one to be in the church that you read about in your New Testament? What would be the, the kind of identifying characteristics that we'd want to look for? That's what we want to talk about for the rest of our time tonight. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll get this week's bullet point out of the way so that we can be ready to go on the other side. We'll look forward to your thoughts. Hey, and some of the people in the chat room have the book, uh, John and uh, Sharon, yeah. or Sharon's son. So there are some who've already read the book. John yeah, as, he, well as he was saying there in the interview, and I found this. Jack in the chat room says Amazon shows it out of print, and I asked him about that. Amazon does, in fact, show it out of print, but he says it's not out of print. Go to go to the to his webpage for the book. Google Traces of the Kingdom. It's the easiest way to find it. And then on the website, you can find some places where you can purchase the book. Okay. All right. We'll get a break and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwen with this week's Bullet Point. A growing number of self-professed Christians are found in support of homosexuality. The increasing frequency of their pronouncements in favor of this sexual perversion is frightening. Historically, these defenders have tried to present biblical arguments to shore up their claim that God does not condemn the homosexual lifestyle. Their efforts have been weak at best and illogical in general. One does not have to be a Bible scholar to understand the clear and direct statements from God's Word that identify homosexuality as a sin. But now some homosexual advocates are openly stating what has been obvious from the start. That is, that the Bible condemns the sin, but they don't care. Luke Timothy Johnson teaches at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University. He recently announced that he rejects what the Bible says in favor of his own experience and opinion. He said, quote, I think it's important to state that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority. We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience thousands of others have witnessed to. That's via Commonweal Magazine. So there you have it. If the Bible doesn't approve of what I like, what I want, what I think, just reject it. While Johnson's proclamation is more blunt than most, his sentiment is shared by many. And it's not just about homosexuality. Name the subject, and you will find a host of so-called religious people who dismiss the Bible in favor of their own think-sos. Once we leave the solid authority of God's Word, even the very first time, we have opened the door to everything else. If one thing is allowed without authority, how can we object to the next thing and the next? The Word of God says in Colossians 3.17, Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We encourage you to contact us at any time with any questions you might have. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. We're glad you're on the program tonight with us. We're talking about uh, the Church of Christ and where it began, and we want to be. Your, your bullet point was very timely because it does it it, it links in with this idea uh, precisely that we want to be like the church that we read about in the Bible because we want to do the things that the Bible says to do, and we want to make sure that we're not discounting or disregarding anything the Bible says because when we do, then we get the confusion in the world that we have today of religiously. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. All right. So how are you going to go about that, Jacob? I mean. Uh, course the numbers just keep escalating you know a number of you i can remember when i was a young preacher they were saying there was something like 1200 distinguishable religious denominations right. so-called christian denominations right. in the united states the, the the latest numbers are up in the 20 30000 yeah. identifiable groups yeah. how in the world am i going to ferret that all out and get to the right one. What am I? What am I looking for? Well, you don't get twenty thousand overnight, and you don't get the uh, apostasy that we're seeing in the religious world overnight. Homosexuality, for instance, you mentioned. You don't get to, to accept that overnight. It is a process, a path, a, a path of apostasy that's been going on for two thousand years now. And so, really, then the only way to solve the dilemma is go all the way back to the Bible. Right. Go all the way back to the New Testament. 
see what those first Christians were doing under the guidance of the inspired apostles and prophets. I mean, they, they were, they were in first hand company with those who were inspired of the Holy Spirit to be revealing this right. new, right. uh, religion of Jesus Christ. Right. And so if we went back and did just as they did, That'd have to be right, wouldn't it? Sure. God I mean, was I mean, telling them what to do. And if I mean, we knew what God told them to do and he was happy with them doing it, he'll be happy with us doing it. That's right. So, so that's the, what we often refer to as the infallibly safe way. If we deviate from that pattern, even in the slightest, we're, we're sort of venturing out on a, a limb. You know, we're taking a chance. We're, we're not staying on the solid foundation of truth, and we can't do that. All right. Or you end up with what we have today. Exactly. So let's start out. We asked to our update list earlier today. We remind everybody, if you're not on our update list and would like to be, uh, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list, and we will do that. To our update list uh, a little before noon today, we sent out an email saying we were going to talk, we we're going to have this interview with Keith Sisman, and then we were going to talk about to find the church we read about in the New Testament. What would have to be true mm-hmm. of a church today? That could claim to be like the church that you read about in your New Testament. So let's just, we won't read all these out. We'll just start out with the first one. What would we have to determine about the date of its establishment? You know, a lot of, of, of religious denominations take some satisfaction in saying, oh, uh, the denomination of which I'm a member was established in 15 something or another by John Calvin or Martin Luther. Right. You know, that's a long time ago. That is a long time ago. You know, that's that's almost 500 years ago. I want, I I want so. you to I want you yeah. to know that's a long time ago. That's pretty pretty long there. Yeah. Actually, that's recent history. That is. You know, that's not nearly long enough ago because we're looking for a church that had its date of establishment, as Keith mentioned in the in the interview. We want a church that had its establishment on the first Pentecost after the crucifixion of Jesus, as is recorded in the Book of Acts, chapter two. Yeah. All right. And so we asked that question, what would we have to know about its establishment? Uh, Kevin in Johnson City, Tennessee, says, date of establishment, first Pentecost after Jesus' ascension, Acts 2.47. Chris in Atlanta says, it must be the church that Jesus established. All right. Uh, it, by the way, Jesus promised that in Mark 16 and verse 18, mm-hmm. on this rock I will build my church. He said he said yeah. he was going to build it. Yeah. And it was we're talking a little bit, it's singular in nature, but Jesus promised to build his church. And he also promised it would happen in the first century. Yeah, that's right. We'll see that, too, okay. as we get a little farther. All right. uh, we got a longer uh, email from Chris in the U.K. who frequently uh, writes us, but he didn't break it down uh, in the same form, and so we may have to hold a little bit but on that. But he did that. say this church will accept the inspiration of all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all uh, – that all that God has revealed there is of the Holy Spirit, First Corinthians 2, verse 10. And so he says the church that he wants to be a part of is the church that's going to look at the scriptures, view them as inspired and infallible, and apply them in their oh, okay. work. Okay, and, and I practice. see another paragraph here in his email. He says, Jesus promised to build his church, Mark, Mark, Matthew 16, 18. If you liken it to a building, Jesus is the architect. He has the blueprints. The church is to be structured or built according to the divine pattern. The divine pattern is, the, for example, laid out in Philippians 1.1. We'll talk a little bit about the organization of the church. So right. he's on the same page as we are with that. And Wade in Hampshire cites Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost has fully come, they were all together in one place. Later in the same chapter, he mentions uh, the preaching that uh, Peter had done. And so he says the kingdom he mentions here, uh, well, he references Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus said unto them, Truly I say unto you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste of death till they see the tr- kingdom of God after it has come with power. The kingdom he mentions here is the church. It was to happen in the lifetime of those people Jesus was talking to. The church was established on the day of Pentecost, mentioned in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, and it was in the first century A.D. Thank you, Wade. All right. We have an email from Jeff in, in uh, Livingston. Livingston, Tennessee. And uh, his his answer is a little different, doesn't fit our format exactly, but he lists re, he's got a blog that he wrote twenty five reasons why I am a member of the Church of Christ. And uh, number one, she was founded by a scriptural builder. She was founded on a scriptural foundation. She was founded at the scriptural place of Jerusalem, and she was founded at the scriptural time, the Pentecost following the resurrection of Christ. Thank you for that, Jeff. Good to hear from you tonight. And uh, what we're getting at here is we're not joining a denomination. We're joining that one true church. 
that Jesus uh, said he would establish in the first century. Anthony in in Columbia says, uh, any specific date of establishment, when we, we mean it's not the church of the New Testament. In other words, we don't know the exact date of Acts chapter 2, but that's when the church began. So right. first century, day of Pentecost. All right. All right, so again, if I'm out here looking for a church, and I'm trying to find that one that I read about in the pages of the New Testament, that, that would be an interesting first question to ask. Go to these different denominations. When did this denomination begin? Yeah. And if they, if they say anything other than, if the answer is anything other than in the first century on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, it's the wrong church. Yeah. I mean, that, so that's just an easy, that's an easy first step. Yeah. All right. All right. The second thing we ask about, what about its form of worship? Uh, in, in other words, to be the church that we read about in the pages of the New Testament, wouldn't our worship have to be as theirs was? Wouldn't it have to to imitate that example of the of the things done in worship in order to be that church? Uh, in other words, if it if it met on a different day, if it did different things than what we read about in the New Testament, it wouldn't be the church of the New Testament. You would think so. Okay. So to that question, what what would we have to look for in its form of worship? Kevin in Johnson City says, whatever Jesus and apostles and prophets taught, John 4, 23 and 24, Acts 24, verse 14. Chris in Atlanta has the same comment. He says, must worship the way the apostles taught by command and or example. You know, we and, and we could spend more than the rest of our time talking about New Testament worship, Jacob. We've got some... We've got some past programs on the virtual Bible study that address that thoroughly. Yes. And so we'll sort of make reference to that if anyone wants to. Check our archives for those programs. Yeah. Uh, Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee, references Romans 6.17. God, be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you. He mentions a certain form of doctrine. That is important for us as we try to please God. Apparently in the first century and more so today, there are many doctrines we could obey. It's, it is most important that we obey the right one, the one that was delivered to us from the apostles. All right. All right. And uh, Anthony says the acts of and form of worship of any church claiming to be the New Testament church would have to match what is found in the New Testament or else it is an innovation, an addition or a deletion. Instrumental music, for example, is a universally acknowledged addition that did not come about until long after Acts chapter 2. I like that. Anthony says if they're not doing what they did in the New Testament, either you're innovating, you're adding, or you're deleting from what the Bible has said. Here's an interesting just case in point example. What about instrumental music? Again, we've got whole programs, past versions of the virtual Bible study that, that would cover this. But what's... What is really beyond dispute, all church historians agree that Christians in the first century did not use instrumental music. That's not even a debated subject. I mean, you you find denominational scholars who, who are members of and worship in denominations that use instrumental music today. So, I mean, they don't have an axe to grind here. Okay. They go back and they will admit unanimously that Christians in the first century did not use instrumental music. Now, what would, so I'm looking for this church. Yeah. What am I looking for? Well, I'm looking for a church that's used, that has a cappella music, no instrumental music, because that's what the church was doing in the first century yeah, under the guidance of the yeah, inspired yeah, apostles yeah, and prophets. But. I like instrumental music. I don't see anything wrong with it. And so we're joined. We'll, we'll be just like the church we read about in the New Testament, but we'll have some instrumental music in there. Well, you've changed then. You've, you've just you've, opened the door. You've opened the door. And there's no closing it now. Exactly right. All right. All right. Let's go. Let's go quickly on. We ask what else? What, what other, we're, in other words, we're trying to put our finger on identifying characteristics of the church we read about in the New Testament. Right. We've talked about when it began what its worship was like. What about the the third thing we ask? What about its manner of organization? Now, what are you talking about here? Well, when we look at religious organizations today, we see mm-hmm. a whole a whole array of organizational structure. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, there there'll be religious denominations that have state and regional uh, councils, councils and organizations and synods. oversight synods. Of course, the ultimate example is the the Catholic Church mm-hmm. with its hierarchy of church government leading all the way to one man, right. uh, the Pope in Rome. Right. And so we see all of these different organizational structures. 
Is that what we read about in the Bible? In other words, can we can we find any of that sort of thing in the scriptures? We want to be a member of a church that is organized like they were. How were they organized? Well, let's look at the, what our listeners have said. Kevin says it's manner of organization. Christ, the head of the universal church, he references Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Local churches overseen by elders, served by deacons, composed of saints. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Acts 20, verse 28, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. So Kevin says... Christ is the head, and you've got local churches with elders, deacons, and saints. And that's the only organization you can read about in the New Testament. So the words we often use to describe that sort of an organization is local, independent, autonomous, meaning self-governing. Now, when you read about churches in the New Testament, they had no um, organic or organizational tie to other congregations. They were locally independent and autonomous. Uh, they were organized at the local level. Uh, now, in regards to all Christians everywhere, Christ is the head of the universal church, which is comprised of all Christians everywhere. But that church has no earth, earthly organization. Right. The only organization of, of Christians described in the New Testament is at the local level with, with uh, elders, deacons, and saints at the local level. And so if I'm looking for this New Testament church, I'm looking for a church that's organized like that. And I could ask the simple question, if I'm if I'm visiting this group, if I'm investigating this group, do you all have a hierarchy? Do you, in other words, does this church report to some governing body elsewhere? If they say yes, then that's not the Church of the New Testament. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal to me. Well, if you again, if you open that door, you won't get it closed. And so we've got to stick with what the scriptures say and organize the church the way it was organized then because we know that's what, the way that God approved of it in the first century. Chris in Atlanta says Christ is the head and each congregation has their own elders. Jeff in, in uh, Livingston, Tennessee, okay. uh, says uh, she is scriptural organization. Christ, the head, Colossians 1.18, elders, uh, pastors, overseers, bishops. Those are all synonymous terms, Acts 20, verse 28, deacons, Acts 6, verses 1 through 6. What? Okay. So he, he agrees in regards to the local organization that's the extent of the organization wade in uh, hampshire references ephesians 4 11 and through 12 he gave some as apostles and some as prophets some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service for, to the building up of the body of christ as we look to the scriptures we see pastors that meaning elders bishops or presbyters are appointed to lead the church in first timothy chapter 3 deacons are also selected by, in, in that chapter first timothy chapter 3 both offices are selected by strict guidelines notice acts 20 verse 28 be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. These elders are supposed to shepherd only their flock, not others' flocks. Each ch- church should be autonomous from each other. There is no one man on earth that is head over all the church. Only Christ re- retains that authority in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. We read that. Thank right. you, Wade. Chris, in the U.K., mentions Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy to the church at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. He says, this is the only organization known to the church, none larger or smaller. With its collective in any location, the only one unit of function. It is not a social group nor any charitable institution, though uh, can be both outgoing and loving. It is a church above all else. Also, the church as an entity is independent and autonomous. Such things as conferences or synods are unscriptural in nature. Each local collective is to be independent and self-governing. All right. And Randall, in the chat room, references Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, which gives us an idea of the organization. Yeah, several of our emailers have mentioned that verse. To all the saints in Christ Jesus that are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So there's your organization. Thank you, Randall, for that. And Anthony says that uh, its organization would have to be limited to individual autonomous congregations because that's all we can read about in the New Testament. All right, let's take a, a quick break, Jacob, and then we got to fly to the end of the hour. We're going to go fast when we get back, so you better hold on tight. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we'll do so in a loving manner. 
So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Americans' attitude toward the lives and choices of gays and lesbians have changed radically in the last decade. Support for same-sex marriage jumped 21 percentage points from 32% in 2003 to 53% in 2013. During this period, gay marriage became legal in 17 states and the District of Columbia. And the United States Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, which blocked federal recognition of legally wed gay couples. Since 2003, the number of people who say same-sex marriage is against their religious beliefs dropped from 62% to 51%. That information is via USA Today. The Word of God says in Romans 1, beginning verse 26, For this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back. We've got lots of ground to cover as we talk about the Church of Christ. And, uh, well, how do we get to be a church like we read about in the New Testament? All right. We're going to go real quick, Jake. We've got to fly. Now, we may not be able to cover everybody who's written in. Unfortunately, we may not be able to catch all of that. We'll catch the highlights here. Uh, but what about its name? I mean, uh, in order for it to be the church we read about in the New Testament, it had to have a name like the church that was in the New Testament for instance, Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church. Yeah. You know, I don't read about that in the New Testament. Yeah. You know, that, that seems almost too simple to me. Yeah. I'm looking for a church. If I'm looking for a church like the church in the New Testament, it would have to have a name like the church had. In the, it should be called in similar fashion to what the church was called in the New Testament. I was driving by a church this week, and uh, it said the Grove. Uh, what is this? Uh, is it a is it a church that it meets here? Or what? You wouldn't know. I don't know. Certainly, you wouldn't be something that you could Sound identify pretty groovy, with. Groovy, but I don't. You know. couldn't identify that with a New Testament yeah. organized right. organized group. Yeah. Um, there's. Please understand. We under we know and agree that there are a number of scriptural designations, and really, what these are are designations. Yeah. Uh, of the church in the New Testament, Church of God, First Corinthians one verse two, Church of Christ, Romans sixteen sixteen, Body of Christ, Romans twelve verse five, House of God, First Timothy three fifteen, Kingdom of the Son of His Love, Colossians one verse thirteen, and so on it goes. Okay. There are, there are a lot of scriptural designations, but we're just saying the church ought to at least have one of those, right? You, you would you, think. You, you would think so. All right, Kevin agrees. He says the, it, uh, the New Testament does not give one exclusive proper name for the church. Several different designations or descriptions of the church are used. We should not use designations that are not found in the New Testament. All right, now here's an interesting inter- uh, uh, email from our friend Aaron in Baton Rouge. He says, I cannot find any exclusive pattern for the name and conclude that we are free to use any description that is accurate, given that the New Testament writers used a wide variety of terms this is the same reasoning we use about other things when we talk about the subject authority. And I agree that he agrees. You know, we, there's a number of names. A we, generic authority, maybe. It, it's, but it should be one of those identifiers that we find in the New Testament, not something that's come along since. Okay. Now, he, this is what he finds interesting. Some of our some of our brethren are real adamant. We've got to call it the Church of Christ. And if we don't call it the Church of Christ, it means we're ashamed of what we stand for. I think there is some of that, honestly. I think there are some who are ashamed of the of the name Church of Christ and want to get it, get away from it because they're ashamed of what it represents. But Aaron takes a little different slant on that. He says, I believe that it is becoming inexpedient, perhaps, to use the name Church of Christ for two reasons. First, the uniformity of the name among many congregations gives a false impression about our autonomy. People see lots of stores called Walmart and assume correctly that they're all part of one company. And they assume the same thing when they see lots of churches called Church of Christ. You would not even have to have this particular topic on the virtual Bible study if we used a variety of generic descriptions like Paul did. Second, I don't want to be associated with the United Church of Christ or with the increasingly liberal congregations who are turning their churches into social clubs. The same reason that Church of God is an accurate but inexpedient name maybe he says, is becoming true of Church of Christ as well. That's that's an interesting way to put it. I, I mean, I'm still I'm I'm still very comfortable with the name Church of Christ. It's a biblical name, uh, but he's saying increasingly there may be uh, some confusion caused by that name 
we might consider that. You know, I think you misread his first paragraph. He said, I cannot find an exclusive pattern for the name and conclude that we are free to use any description that is accurate, given that the New Testament writers used a wide variety of terms. So he's saying you wouldn't necessarily have to use a New Testament term here for the church, I believe is what he's saying. He says this is the same reason we use about other things we talk about the subject of authority. I don't know that I'm ready to go that far with it, Aaron. Well, the way I read that was that he would be glad to use any of these others that we mentioned, like uh, family of God or house of God, body of Christ. Oh, maybe I'm reading it wrong. If that's that's what he meant, that's the way I took it. If that's what he meant, I would agree with it. All right. Chris in Atlanta says it should wear the name of its head and creator. And Wade uh, says uh, that uh, Christ purchased the church with his own blood, uh, so therefore we should use uh, a term that describes uh, who owns the church. Jeff in Livingston, Tennessee says uh, she uses a scriptural name, uh, Romans 16, 16, Churches of Christ. And Anthony says a church claiming to be the one Christ built would need to call itself by one of the names used by the New Testament. If the church's name includes someone's name other than the church of God, of, uh, other than Christ or God, uh, then it's identifying itself as something other than the church established. All right. Uh, Christian UK says it should not glorify man, so not named after its pastor or a saint. But if it relates to what it does, say X-Town Gospel Hall, he said that would be fine. By the way, uh, the slapping Christ on it doesn't make doesn't make it anything more or less than it is. Remember, the Mormons put Jesus Christ in big print on their title, and you can't tell me they follow him. Right. So yeah, Chris has an interesting point there. Just, you know, uh, just that one thing alone would not make it a it's true not. New Testament church. It's but not. I'm saying it ought to be identified by a New Testament uh uh, descriptive. All right. You've got five more topics to go and eight minutes to get there, so know. about a minute and a half each. Let's go. I don't think we could do it. Uh, what does it teach concerning salvation, its terms of entra- entrance? Well, it would have to teach the, the the plan of salvation as revealed in the New Testament. Doing the same things. That in other words, in order to be saved, what would you have to do? In other words, what would this church teach? You're, looking, you're investigating this religious group. What does it teach about what a person must do to be saved? Yeah. It would have to teach the same thing that we read about in the New Testament. If it teaches differently, it couldn't be the true church. Well, you would think. In the New Testament, the plan of salvation is hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. Again, we've covered all of that in past episodes of the virtual Bible study. But if they're teaching something like all you have to do to be saved is believe in Jesus – or pray the sinner's prayer. We got a we got a whole program on the sinner's prayer. We can't. That's, the New Testament doesn't teach that. Therefore, that can't be the right church. All right, that's not what you read about in the New Testament. And to summarize, one response here: Kevin says uh, what it teaches concerning salvation is terms of interest. We should teach people to do what Peter taught the Jews to do in Acts chapter two, verses thirty-six through thirty-nine on the day of Pentecost. All right. We ask the next question. We ask what about its singularity or how uh, the the number? How many churches are there? Matthew sixteen eighteen, Jesus said, I will build my church. It would belong to him, and there would be only one. And then uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. So there's one body. Earlier in the same epistle, Paul said the body is his church. He had put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. So the church is the body. There's just one body. Therefore, there's just one church. It belongs to Jesus. There are not multiple churches. And so here would be an interesting investigative tool. I'm looking at this group. Do they believe that there's just one true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or do they believe that there's lots of different churches and one's as good as another? Anybody who tells me one's as good as another can't be following the New Testament pattern. That's right. And uh, in, in John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus, right before his crucifixion, prayed that his believers would be one. That oneness that Jesus believed for is not the religious diversity that we see in the world today. And that's our next point. You covered it. Good. So we can move on real quickly. Okay. Because we said it, there's just one, and it's non-denominational in character. Yeah. Not divided. Denomination, the word denomination Right. Means divided. Yep. And as you said, John 17, uh, beginning about verse 20, Jesus prayed for the unity of, fo- of his followers. He was not content with Christians to be divided. On the ro- on different roads going to the same place, that's not unity. That's not unity. You know, Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I, 
I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. But people today seem to think, oh, it's just okay. It's fine for us to be divided. It's not. And so we're, we, we need to be looking for a church that's non-denominational in nature. That is the, the idea that we are not teaching a divided religious world in service to God. All right. We're getting close, and we might just get there if we keep up the fast pace. All right. What about the program of work that the New Testament church engaged in? I'll tell you, Jacob, when I, when I look at, at some of the advertising for some of these religious groups in our vicinity – I see him doing all kinds of different things. Yeah, that's... You, you know, uh, and and one of our emailers suggested, you know, they've almost turned their religious groups into social clubs. I mean, all kinds of recreational and entertainment activities, a lot of youth programs and so forth. What about the program of well, work? It might be all right if we could read about it in the New Testament. I mean, if they were uh, if they were organizing softball leagues in the New Testament, then yeah, let's go for it. But we don't see anything like that when we read the Bible. Uh, Chris in Atlanta says we have a three E mission, edify, equip the saints and evangelize. And we really believe that that's what the New Testament teaches, that that the church was to do evangelize toward the lost, edify those who are Christians already, provide a limited benevolent assistance to uh, saints in need. Uh, that's what Wade says as well. He references First Timothy three fifteen, Ephesians four eleven and through thirteen, and Acts chapter six verses one through four. He says those are the three works that he can read about in the New Testament, and that's the kind of work that the church should be doing today. You know, and I think people would be in unanimous agreement. Can you can you imagine? Here's the Apostle Paul, and he's on his second or third missionary journey, and he's traveling among the churches that have been established in the first century. And so he is helping them administer a softball program. Yeah. You know, and he's giving them instruction on how to build a, a really good ball diamond or yeah. basketball court. Yeah. Right. You can't even begin to imagine that. Yeah, he's going to he's going to jail. The Christians are going to jail, and you can crucify me upside down because we're gonna play our softball, and I'm ready to die for it. It's just it's just ludicrous. All right, all right. One last point. We made it, Jacob. What about the role of the church in a person's salvation? You know, the the, the question is, why is this so important? I mean, I don't even have to be a member of a church, do I? I mean, yeah. you guys are making oh, such a big I'll deal just, of it. Yeah, I just do my own thing. I, I, I just don't think it matters. I mean, yeah. I can be a I can be a member of any religious denomination or organization I want, or none at all, if I so please. Because I just don't see that that has anything to do with me being saved eternally. You hear that a lot. What is it? What, what do our emailers say? I'm looking for Wade says uh, the church's role is to teach and defend the truth. First Timothy three verse fifteen. Uh, so he calls it the first the pillar and ground of the truth. That's that's good. Thank you, Wade. Um, and uh, what does Anthony say? It says here? it would teach that membership in the church is automatic, the result of being saved. Therefore, it's not optional. For salvation, a saved person is added to the church and cannot exist on his own or as a part of a group that's not following the New Testament pattern. Um, Chris and you, came, I'm not sure. I've got. I'm not getting the, maybe all of this. He says it is Christ who saves, not the organization. But to the Mormons, for this, you are not only saved. If you are saved by them in their church, no, we have as Ephesians four verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That is how we get saved, not by the institution that performed it. I would agree. We're not saved by the church, but one of the the, the points that I thought our emailers would include in Acts two, when men asked, "What must we do? What shall we do?" Peter told them, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." Acts two thirty eight, and that it goes on to say. Verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What's that mean? Verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So if I've done what I have to do to be saved by the New Testament plan of salvation, then the Lord adds me to the church. And so is, is the church essential? Yeah, because if I'm a truly saved person, I'm in the church. If I'm not in the church, I'm not a saved person. So someone you can't say the church is is unimportant because it's it 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 represents the fact that I am in that body of saved people. And Acts chapter twenty verse twenty eight says that uh, that he has purchased the church with his own blood. There you go. So is it important? Yes, absolutely. All right, Jack in the uh, Jack in the chat room says my uh, uh, citing 
Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This is the issue. People do not read their Bibles, so they don't know how beautiful and complete is God's word. I think that's right, Jack. And Randall says, of course, in the first century, there was only one church and not the religious confusion that we find ourselves in today. So we all uh, call ourselves to the same to eliminate confusion uh, because of the denominationalism. Okay. All right. We're out of time, Jacob. We had, we, had, we had to do a rapid fire there, but uh, we want to thank Keith Sisman in Cambridge, England, for spending some time with us by recording on the virtual Bi- uh, yeah, Bible study. Absolutely. I think really interesting information. Again, the name of his book is Traces of the Kingdom. Uh, well-documented resource there on the existence of true New Testament Christians meeting and really, as far back as he history is traceable. Dig, he couldn't dig deep enough to find the beginning. That's right. And, and of course, there's one book that does describe the beginning. That's right. That's the Bible. That's and that right. tells when they started doing that, and that's what we're trying to do today, and that's that's got to be the right approach. Hey, if we all will follow what the Bible teaches and not all the creeds that exist today, then we'll all be unified like Jesus wants us to be, and there will no, be no religious division. There we go. All right. Well, we haven't even met and introduced Dan tonight. Dan's been behind the control center. Dan's tonight. been busy. Oh, they're flipping yeah. the switches, Dan. Thanks. Thank you for being here, Dan. Appreciate appreciate you being here. You're thank right. you for having me, Jacob. Yeah, thank you, Dan. And uh, thank you for listening to the program tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.